Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, talking to the USC Trojan football. Back-to-back days. Yeah, we had a little hiatus, but we're back. We had Dan Weber on Monday, and we have Harvey Hyde, Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, here today on Tuesday to answer your questions about this USC Trojan football team. we got summer workouts going on. we got JT Daniels enrolled in on campus We'll be talking about him and a lot of other players and coaches and everything that's going on around USC. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us or text us. We got some texts and some voicemails today, 424-254-9141. That is the number. Leave us a text or leave us a voicemail, all that. We'd love to read it and talk about whatever topic you are interested in here on the Peristyle Podcast. So let's bring in the coach, Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? Hope you're doing okay. Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. Uh, I'm glad to be back and uh, say hi to everybody out there. And, I've, of course, uh, you would think this is the off season, but it certainly isn't for any of us. And uh, football's not that far away. And it's going to be a very interesting, I think, coming season for not only USC, but the entire Pac-12 and also uh, – some of the other conferences. So uh, why don't we get started? And uh, again, we want to thank all of you for listening and thank all of you for your questions and being a part of this podcast. And without you, we don't have one. So uh, Ryan, let's get started. Yeah, without without our listeners, we don't have a podcast. So we do appreciate all of them, everyone uh, listening every week and sending in your questions and comments. And before we jump into the topics for today, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets Go To sctickets.com, or you can give them a call. Tell Curtis, the coach sent you, at 1-800-888-7287. We don't have any basketball anymore. We don't have any hockey anymore, but there's a lot of baseball across the country. Uh, There's some soccer stuff going on if you're into that. And, of course, if you want to go to the theater, uh, you want to see a play, take your wife to a musical, something like that, you can get tickets for all of that over at sctickets.com. Like I said, tell Curtis that the coach sent you, and they'll take care of you like they've been taking care of us for years. And also, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Lisa Beds. So you guys heard me talk about this before. Uh, Such a cool product. It's like the neatest thing I've ever had to review. Uh, It's the most comfortable bed I've been on. And it's really neat when you get this. You you order Lisa Bed online. It's all online. You get it to your door, and it looks like it's a box of maybe golf clubs or something. And inside was a full queen-size bed. So not a full bed, queen-size bed which is pretty amazing, but it's a quality night's sleep. It'll help you recover from distractions faster. It'll prevent burnout. You make, helps you make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall makes fewer mistakes. It's not marketing. It's science. So design, design a better mattress. Lisa leveraged 30 years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. So I love sleeping on it. It's very cool. Uh, it's also neat that they're a very uh, globally conscious company. So they work with the Arbor Day Foundation, and they're going to plant a tree for every mattress they sell. And they're committed to planting a million trees by 2025. So that's pretty cool. So you get $160 off all of our Peristyle Podcast listeners. 
Go to lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com slash USC. That's lisa.com slash USC. $160 off the mattress. So definitely go check it out. And if you check, some people have emailed me when you've tried it out. Email me, let me know what you think. I really love sleeping on it and hope you guys will too. All right, coach. So I was down at USC this morning and there's an actual player run practice that will be happening soon this evening. We're taping this Tuesday, late afternoon. There'll be one tonight. This may be the first time we get to see JT Daniels. So he, uh, like all the other incoming freshmen, came on June 8th on Friday. There was a player run practice that morning, but the players were all moving in, the, the incoming freshmen, so we didn't see any incoming freshmen. There's potential that we see those guys this evening at the workout, and we're recording it right before it starts, so we don't know. But we had a, a question, uh, a, a voicemail question about JT Daniels. I thought we'd start the show talking about that. So I'll play this for you, and we'll get your thoughts. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. I want to talk to you guys about JT Daniels. Uh, I have never seen any highlights of him until today. Somebody at work asked me about him. Um, I know he's Gatorade All-American, and I know he's very accurate, but I saw some long runs on his highlights. Looked like after the first read, if it opens up and in this offense at Martyr Day, they let him take off, and he had some nice long runs. So I am happy to see that he can run. Uh, and also, in Las Vegas, Heisman odds, the best Heisman odds at USC, according to Las Vegas, is JT Daniels, who is not even enrolled yet. He's higher than some players that have been playing three years college football already. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, hey, Curtis, Ryan. I always say those guys hey, from Las Vegas is... know what they're talking about, okay? This might be the first time uh, that I say, guys, give him some time, <laughs> uh, please, uh, to put him in the uh, situation of being a Heisman Trophy candidate is putting too much pressure on the kid, and already he has too much pressure on him. I, I think really uh, the kid is uh, overexposed, overtalked about, not only uh, by the media, but by his family and the publicity and all the things that have been uh, revolving around him. He has enough pressure in just playing football, and now he has all the other pressures. And the article in Sunday's Los Angeles Times uh, uh, gave a good life background of what he's been doing as far as to get in the position of where he is. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, he's got pressure at home. He's got pressure at school. He's got pressure on the field. Uh, I hate to see this uh, going on. Uh, I know of a young athlete, Todd Marinovich, who went through the same type of pressure, and, and it was very difficult on him. I'm not saying JT Daniels is the same type of kid or can't take the pressure. I'm just saying let him gradually become a football player on the Division One level. Right now, I'm not quite sure what I would think if I'm Matt Fink or Jack Sears I would think, man, I might as well pack my bags and leave. I don't have a chance. They're bringing in a guy that uh, is uh, too good for college football. Maybe I ought to go straight to the NFL. And I don't think that's fair uh, on uh, 
the side of the players that are there or on JT Daniels. I think he needs to come in and be a team, prove to the team on who he is, have the team like him, not have them look at him and evaluate him on every pass he does. I think it's a very difficult situation, and uh, I sort of feel sorry for him. He's a great player, and he's been a great player in high school, but to play with the additional pressures that he already has on him as far as uh, trying to play Division I college football at a different speed is enough pressure yet to uh, talk about all these other things. Uh, first thing you want to do is be liked by your teammates, and you don't want to be put on a different level or a different plate or have different rules and regulations than your other players on your team has. And I see this uh, going a little bit too much in that direction as far as of, of who JT Daniels is and what he's supposed to do for the team. Because when you put a guy too high, he has only one way to go, and that's down. Let someone start equally with everybody and prove who he is, and then I think he'll have a better uh, gain better respect from his teammates and from all of us in the media and people who evaluate talent. And I think he certainly has the potential. Well, let's give the kid a chance. Yeah, the uh, he was also he was a Gatorade Player of the Year. wasn't Gatorade All American. Um, pretty much did everything you could do in three years as the starter at modern day. And there is a lot of hype around him. And I, I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before. I think there's a few factors in play, Coach. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. But in the spring, you saw Matt Fink and you saw Jack Sears, and neither one were, I mean, you know, just kind of took the reins and, and decided, I, hey, I'm going to be the starting quarterback. There was ups and downs. It just was kind of a, a mediocre performance overall. And it really left the – you know, the starting spot wide open. And I think that was an opportunity for JT Daniels. Now, he was out there all the time with his backpack watching. And then we weren't sure how quickly he could actually graduate a year early. Was he going to be taking classes all the way up until August and then really just arrive for fall camp and make it really difficult for him to win the starting job? Well, you know, Clay Hilton announced, I think it was at the last spring practice, that JT Daniels was going to be there on June 8th, which was on Friday. You know, so he was going to be there with the rest of the incoming freshmen, meaning he was going to graduate, which he has done. He's already enrolled. And so he gets that couple extra months to work out in the summer. And we've seen the, those months be very important. If you remember, Sam Darnold came in uh, same time as Ricky Town. Although Ricky Town was there in the spring, Sam Darnold didn't come to the summer. And even though Sam Darnold wasn't there in the spring, he showed enough that Ricky Town ended up transferring out. Um, so I think JT Daniels can show a lot these next couple of months in the summer workouts, and then we'll see what happens when – Fall camp starts, but I agree with you, coach. There's just uh, there's just so much talk about him. Um, you know, we haven't seen him really do anything yet. We might see him like this evening, like I was saying before. Uh, that's a lot of pressure to put on an 18 year old kid. I think he can handle it, um, but really, it's one of those things where if he comes in and takes the job, that's fine. But it's almost been like a default thing now because no one else has really stepped to the plate and showed, hey, I'm gonna I want to be the starting quarterback. Now well that could change. You know, Matt Faker, Jack Sears could have an amazing summer and, and fall camp and just kind of sweep their way into the job. But the way it's kind of played out, it's almost like it's not just the fans, but you get the feeling like the coaches and stuff too are kind of relying on JT Daniels, which seems like a lot to rely on someone that should actually be a senior in high school. No, and I agree with you. And I think that the uh sports information department should protect all three quarterbacks keep them away from the media, let them be a football player, not a celebrity, and uh, go out and play football. That's what they're there for at USC, to get an education and play football. 
and uh, let it all happen as it's supposed to happen. I think enough's enough, and uh, now it's time to get out there and prove who you are and learn the game of football and help each other. You know, after a while, uh, when you read so much of it, you sort of have animosity if you're one of the players playing the same position as he is and says, well, you're so good, figure it out yourself. And they don't lead uh, by lending him a hand or helping him if he does something wrong or right. And they become individually competing and they don't have a team attitude. And I don't think that. And you think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, maybe I don't. But you can see that happening on teams if you're really close and you watch that happen. So you've got to be really careful with that. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great kid. I think the other two are great players, too. Or they wouldn't be at USC. Remember, they just don't walk on at USC. These are scholarship players that the coaches scholarship to come to USC. So if these guys aren't uh, the ability of what uh, USC supposedly needs, then whose fault is it? You better recruit better players. And I think that they're good players. They've been recruited by a lot of different schools. And I think that, that this is a great opportunity for one to step up and prove to the world or prove to the fans and to the players and the coaching staff that he's the guy to be the leader. And I just hope that at the end of summer, when fall camp is done or wherever they decide, whenever they decide to make the announcement of who their starter is, that it's the best one. It isn't just selected because of favoritism. All right. Uh, we had a text question. It said, hey, well, he says, hey, it's D checking in from the Bay Area again. I was wondering how uh, Devon Williams has looked during summer player run practices. And D, he's he's not been out there yet. Like I said, the, the true freshman, the incoming freshman likely will start practicing tonight. But we don't know for sure. It might maybe they wait until Friday. They're doing about two, they're doing two days a week, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays for those workouts. Um, so far, the workouts have just kind of looked sort of like walk-through practices. They, you know, they do a lot of the stuff that they would prepare for practices. There's not as many competitive periods that we used to see with the one-on-ones, and I think that's by design. Um, you know, we talked to you know sources around the team, and I think they want to make it so it's a it's like an indoctrination for some of the younger players where they can kind of go through and. You know, they got their playbooks and they're learning them, but you can actually kind of go through some of the stuff there. But there's not a lot of like one-on-one periods, which were really fun uh, back in the day. I think they're worried about injuries and things like that. So I don't know if you remember, you know, back in the day, Coach, what what your players would do, even though, you know, it wasn't sanctioned things. It was, you know, their their volunteer workouts. But we're seeing, I've seen a shift at least the last couple of years. There's just not as much competition going on during those summer workouts. They've, They've kind of got away from that. Used to do a lot more of them. There used to be a lot of periods where they just went one-on-one and, and went after each other, and we just don't see a lot of that anymore. Well, I think that's good. I think you've heard me discuss that before. There needs to be a period of time where their bodies rest, mentally they recover, and uh, have a summer uh, where they can in- enjoy football, not make it so competitive where every time you do something, uh, someone's watching you or grading you or you're laughing at each other or whatever. I think it's a great time to teach summer workouts where you – I've mentioned this before, or maybe there's not even any balls on the field. You work on your formations. You work on your motions. You work on all the different steps, uh, footwork that you need to do. The defense is on the other side adjusting to what you do, and the new players are uh, getting taught with the if this happens and we're in this coverage, we go to this coverage, and so on. So a lot of the X and Oing that you normally do in a classroom 
can be done on the field where players are now told exactly what to do. And then when they do do it full speed, they've had a great time or a lot of time to review all of this. And the offensive line and defensive line should be in groups going through those type of things, talking about adjustments, talking about uh, footwork, talking about stunts, going through everything. They don't have to go full speed to do all of this. What's, what's the objective to go full speed? You don't have helmets on. You don't have pads on. All you're going to do is get somebody hurt. And, uh, you know, you'll find out soon enough who the players are. So I agree with that. And, again, I think it's important to – uh, the quarterbacks to learn to speed and throw routes to receivers. You don't have to compete and go one-on-one. You can work on timing with routes. Uh, defensive backs can work on ball drills and drops and plants and all the different things. So there's a lot you can do without competing against each other. But then as we get closer again to uh, the, the, the camp, you can start doing two team things as far as breaking the huddle or lining up in the line of scrimmage and doing snap counts against air. You don't have to do it against the defense. Defense will uh, service the offense, and and offense will service the defense, give each other time to adjust and do the different things. So you're really learning something. This should be a learning period of time during the summer months. And then, of course, a little conditioning to go along with it. Got to do the conditioning, Coach, and that's uh, that's the most consistent part. You get that four days a week or so. With Ivan Lewis and the conditioning, strength and conditioning team, they get to work with the players the most, so more than the head coaches, the assistant coaches, all that kind of stuff. Um, we had a question from Tarek, always good, succinct questions from him. He said, uh, going on the third year of Clay Helton, he's been the head coach, has the culture shifted or do you think it stayed the same? What do you think about that, Coach? It's kind of interesting. Well, I don't, I don't think it's shifted. I think it's still the same. I haven't seen it change. Uh, most of the coaches are the same and coaching with the same uh, type of uh, enthusiasm or their method, and which is uh, under the leadership of Clay Helton. Uh, uh, you know, we continually hear uh, the run comes first, but I don't think they've proven that to me yet. And, uh, and uh, I want to see a complete series and a belief in what we're doing, uh, not a 31 flavor type of uh, situation on offense. Be good at one thing and do it well, and then go to the next thing. Don't jump around too much and try to trick people. Do what you do and do it well before you move on. And on defense, of course, it's more of an attacking type defense where you rely on penetration and playing on their side of the football and making big plays. And, of course, getting corner play and secondary play so they don't get the big play. But I haven't seen any major type of change like I see a lot of under-the-center quarterback or I haven't seen any real difference in short yardage. I haven't seen things like that that I'm saying, hey, now that that's really something different or in the spring and, and see them on a short yardage situation line up and challenge both sides of the football that – see who's going to win. Yeah, you see it occasionally, but not a complete period of when you get after it. And I haven't seen them really get away from the pass down in the in the goal line area. They're still trying to get in there the easy way rather than make it the hard way and let the easy way come off the run. So I haven't seen a lot of that. Everything seems to be the same. But again, you look at the record over the last two years, and they've been successful. But again, you look at how they were successful and the close games they won 
by Sam Darnold being uh, the guy and the games they lost where they weren't close losses. They were blowout losses. So when they would go against a physical type of team, basically they didn't have great success. Yeah, and I think that's what, you know, that's left a bad taste in many fans' <laughs> many fans' mouths, uh, which is why we get some of the negative questions and comments that we, we get, certainly during the offseason, uh, following the Cotton Bowl and Notre Dame and all that kind of stuff. All right, um, I want to talk a little special teams, Coach. We have a voicemail asking just about that. So here you go. I'll play it for you. Hi, this message is for the coach. Uh, hope all is well. I uh, wanted to find out, uh, get your perspective on special teams. Uh, I haven't heard a whole lot of uh, uh, chatter about uh, Coach Baxter. Don't know if he's still um, on the staff. Uh, hopefully he is. I'm, from what I from what I know, he's a pretty good uh, coach. But anyway, can you give some kind of uh, perspective on what exactly a good special teams coach is to be teaching uh, the players? Like, what types of uh, scheming are they supposed to be doing? I know offense and defense, well, actually all three phases are very important in the game, but special teams is super crucial. But what are the things that fans or viewers uh, like myself uh, should really really be paying attention to or kind of checking out? Can you explain that a little bit? Thanks. This is Frankie's president. Okay, Frank. Uh, by the way, I, I think I discussed this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm not sure how long it was, but I'll bring it up again because it is important you talk about special teams. You know, my I'm back to the same thing. Work on things that make a difference in a football game. Just don't do everything. Do things that help you win games. Probably at USC, John Baxter gets more time on a practice schedule than any practice I ever ran or many, many teams that I've watched practice. He, he had full periods of, of special teams, early outs, uh, during the practice, uh, the whole thing. So special teams should be pretty good. But I think the two areas of special team that are most important is the punting area. You've got to have a great punter and great coverage and great blocking, but you probably use that more than any. So be good at it. Really be good on your coverages and your angles and where you're kicking the football so it doesn't beat you. It helps you with field position because you're not going to always get a first down and you've got to punt the ball. Now the next thing is you hope your defense plays really well. And I explain this. So punt return is very important. As far as understanding field position, understanding uh, your punter, understanding the spin of the ball, understanding what his distance is so you don't overplay it or underplay it. Know where you are in the field, and that, again, determines your field position as far as for your offense when they come on the field. Know when to fair catch it and know when not to and have the type of guy back there that has the uh, ability to make those correct decisions yet is a good athlete to make uh, the run if the seam is open to come back and hit it. So what I would do is work probably most of my time on punt and punt return because I would think that's the part of the kicking game that you use the most. Don't spend equally everything. Now, if you're working a lot of time on the kickoff return, then, baby, you're getting beat anyway. So I would take the kickoff return, keep it simple, worry about field position, Worry about where we are on the field. Uh, know uh, just what the percentages are, which they should, on the distance of the kickoff guy. 
and just make sure you know exactly where you're going to be on every kickoff as far as take the ball 25-yard line if you can and be happy rather than to try to field, make the big play, and you end up on the 10 or the ball goes out of bounds, you touch it, and you're fumbling it, running around, and you're on the three-yard line. So I think it's important to understand that and be really good at that. Uh, the kickoff, punt return. Uh, kickoff is, is something that is something that you keep very simple, I think. You put your speed guys, you put your bus wedges, you put your guys that are great athletes that are getting playing time but I wouldn't put them on there just because they're freshmen and waste a year of eligibility because I covered 22 kickoffs or whatever it might be. I would put guys on there that are good football players that deserve to be on the football field that are probably my second teamers on defense. And I would never put an offensive guy on the kickoff team. I don't understand why they do that. I never would allow that because how much time does an offensive guy spend on tackling and settling up? They don't ever. So I would always make sure the kickoff team is made up of of defensive players who scream out of the football, know how to settle up, know how to tackle, and make the play. So the kickoff team is very important. Of course, when you go to field goals and PAT, you better have a kicker, and you better put your big guys in there on the front that can step down and block up and not caved in. I've seen so many guys get caved in in the middle, and I think the two most important guys on the PAT team and the field goal team is your up backs because they need to know how to understand who's the most dangerous guy coming from the outside, know how to do the bump technique where you block one and he bumps into the second guy and one block, block, one block blocks two. So those are the areas I think that are the most important. The snap, of course, how important is that on both the punt, the punt return uh, on the, the punt team and the PAT team? you got to have a snapper to get the ball back there in time, and the snapper and the punter don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, the, the holder. Oh, my gosh, I'm not sure where the ball is going to go. And that's the same thing you hear me talk about on every play as far as the offensive side of the football. If the quarterback's wondering every time where the snap's going, then obviously he's not looking and doing the right things he has to do, and the timing is off. And, you know, if, uh, if you watch SC uh, during the last couple of years, their snaps haven't been the same every game where the quarterback, even if it's those Sam Darnold, even if it is Sam Darnold, uh, has to, he has to always grab a ball or it's in the ground. You can't have that. It's got to be every day, and you've got to work on it every day with contact. Contact with someone on the center's nose so that they get better at it. Same with uh, snapper for the punt and same with the snapper for the PAT. So that's what I think the basics are of special teams kickers. Uh, snappers, athletes, and uh, the punt and punt return are probably the two teams that are on the field the most. You know, and, and with a brand-new quarterback, whoever it ends up being, coming in, to me, Coach, all those hidden yards become very important. I, I You know, I was no – I was very clear. I, I didn't pull any punches talking about USC special teams last year. I thought they were awful. To, as much time as they spent practicing as having a full-time special teams coach, um, they needed to be a lot better. And I think this year, there's certainly athletes there. Um, you talk about you don't need to be great at kickoff return. If you're if you're great at kickoff return, you're probably giving up too many points. But I think, you know, punt return yardage, being able to, you know, flip the field as a punter, all those kind of hidden yards are going to be important when you're talking about a team that might be focused on defense and running the football first with a new quarterback. So 
I think special teams are going to be extremely important this year, Coach, uh, with with not having the focus, at least going into the season, being on the quarterback and maybe not going to be the most explosive offense, more of a ball control, uh, picking up first downs, moving the chains. And if you have good special teams and you're not putting yourself in a hole all the time, I think that should certainly help. I agree with you 100%. Uh, as much time as USC spends on special teams, I don't say I would grade them maybe a C and some teams a D as far as the way they uh, get field position and the way they use their their rules as far as when to fair catch or when to let a ball roll or whatever, know where you are on the field. And uh, uh, it, it's really sometimes really embarrassing as far as where uh, the field position of their offense takes over at, at times. It, it really is. And sometimes the field position, even on the kickoff returns of the opponent, where the opponents get the ball back to. It, it just uh, amazes me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it amazes me too. Um, all right, we got a couple more questions. We had a text question, and I'll give some thoughts on this first. Uh, I just saw a USC schedule. Is this the second year in a row with no buys? If so, whose fault is that? Is it an issue? I apologize if you already covered this. Marcel in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, Marcel, no, there's actually, there is a buy. Um, so USC opens at home against UNLV on uh, September 1st. Then they got a couple road games uh, at Stanford, at Texas. Return home on a Friday, uh, September 21st, against Washington State. Uh, and then again, then they uh, host, uh, I'm sorry, then they go on the road against Arizona. Uh, then there's a bye. So they do have a bye week after the fifth week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty normal bye week. They're going to play uh, host Colorado uh, when they come back on October 13th. So there is that actual bye week. The schedule seems, you know, fairly reasonable. It's, you know, having the Friday Washington game, Washington State game at home, uh, not ideal with the Coliseum renovations and parking and all that. So, I mean, I, I would say it would have been better not to have a Friday game in the Coliseum this year, but, you know. Uh, and then, you know, of course, two road games uh, at Stanford, at Texas, are going to be tough, you know, similar to 2016 when they, they had a really tough stretch to start the season. And then they end up starting one and three, but then turning around and going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, scheduling is real important, uh, especially when you have a new quarterback. You've got to build the confidence uh, for UNLV. And UNLV isn't going to come in and lay down, I want to tell you. They're going to come in knowing that there's a new quarterback at USC. And this is a huge game. And, you know, a lot of the Vegas shows, they ask me, uh, Coach, uh, how would you approach playing USC? Right, first of all, I'd approach it as a lot of fun. And I'd tell them, guys, we're going to go down and play one of the top programs in America and to be on national TV. And, uh, you know, they've got us as a 28-point underdog. So, hey, let's go down. And I'd keep it, keep it very loose in mind saying, you know, I don't want to get embarrassed, but I want to play them well. And we want to come back and win our next three games, which they can do on their schedule and start the season three and one. I'd come to the hotel. I would keep the hotel open. I would be limited on the number of meetings we have. I'd have parents come to the hotel. I'd keep the pressure off the kids, go on in the field and, and play my butt off and hope that I can go home with a 30, maybe, you know, I'm not saying you can't win the football game, but I'm saying go home maybe 31-7, a respectable score. But I didn't blow my whole year by saying, we're going to beat these guys. This is our season. We're going to show them who we are. Give them all that hoorah stuff that I've been with some coaches that give all that hoorah stuff. 
and then get beat and then lose two more games because the kid's depressed. So I would come down and, and play the heck out of USC, and maybe they'll get beat 60 to nothing. Uh, sometimes they think they should be when you think about that, but maybe they won't. So, you know, that, that's the way I'd approach it if I was the UNLV coach because they got one of the top running backs in the country, and they got a returning quarterback that's a great athlete. Some people in Vegas are trying to compare him in some of the publications with Cam Newton. Now, he's not Cam Newton, okay? He's a young sophomore. He's playing pretty well. They've got a couple of good receivers. Uh, you know, they, they've got a good little football team, and they coached up pretty good, but they're not supposed to be playing one of the top teams in the country and beating them. If they do, don't plan on being around long because all that does is build up the confidence of your opponents. Don't think Stanford doesn't watch that film. Don't think Texas is saying it's time for us to get even. Washington State saying we're going to win two in a row over USC, and this one's at home. So you've got to play well if you're USC in an opening football game and try to get better, 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 because you've got Stanford at Stanford the next game. And you know, and we've talked about this before, David Shaw doesn't like losing two games in a row to USC. So that's going to be a, a very important game, not only because it's the second game, but it's a conference game. So that's very important as far as the Trojans are concerned. So that's basically my thought on that. And, and uh, I think it's going to be a hot day. It certainly isn't going to intimidate UNLV because that would be something I would say if there's a hot day, we want it to be as hot as it can be because we come from hot country. So, uh, you know, they'll use that or I would at least use that if I was coaching at UNLV as an advantage. And uh, we go from there. All right. We got one last topic um, question email we got from John Embrea, our friend. He said, I've never played football, so I have no practice experience at all. But I'm wondering, why don't teams wear full pads for practice every day, even if they aren't going to go full speed or full contact? Is it the same time, or is it easier to game plan when they are in helmets and shorts? Don't players perform differently when in pads, and wouldn't it be easier to see who performs better when in pads when they're actually wearing the pads? I'm looking forward to hearing your answer on the podcast soon, very soon. Fight on. John and Bray. I think John was writing in when we hadn't done a podcast for about a week and a half or two weeks. So, John, we did one already. Here's another one. And uh, here's your question to coach. You know, it's a good question. You know, I, I agree with you. I think being out of pads should be a reward. Uh, I do. Uh, we used to always go Monday in, in shorts because uh, and helmets because we used to review our mistakes and uh, start to put in our game plan. And I thought that was important to give the day uh, another day for the body to to rest. But we went full pads Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, not hitting on every day, but hitting in individual groups, inside drill, outside drill, pass rush, man blocking, all the things we need to get better at. You can't get better at things by saying, now this is what we did wrong. Now let's try to do it right this week. you got to go full speed against ones against ones and whatever to get better at it. It helps the defensive side of the ball. It helps the offensive side of the ball. In fact, uh, on Thursdays, uh, we would end practice on Thursdays with a uh, live goal line. Uh, the last uh, practice, uh, we get to the goal line and we go live. Offense would have three or four plays. Defense would have three or four plays. We do it three or four series, ones against ones. Be a great morale end of the uh, week practice. Uh, guys would be cheering for each other, and it was all out. It wasn't just like, uh, you know, part. This was the, the real deal. This is who's going to win the game and lose the game. 
Then after that, we get together, of course, and uh, talk to him a little bit and tell him about Friday's practice or what time to, to be at the bus or the plane or what are not the bus, but to be when we're leaving, not pack your bags, do all that stuff. And if we're playing at home, it'd be a different schedule, of course. And uh, uh, Friday would be a walkthrough. I believe in walkthroughs. I believe in substitution. On Fridays, I'd say punt team. They'd run on the field. Then I'd say kickoff team. They'd run on the field. Then I'd say PAT team. They'd run on the field. Then I'd say 10 seconds left, field goal on the team. I want to see if everybody is paying attention. And if they're running on the field or if one guy's sitting over there uh, drinking a cup of water. You don't drink a cup of water when we're playing football. They bring it to you. You pay attention to what's going on. And you don't miss your turn. And we make sure we do that. Our two-minute drill, we go down the field, score a touchdown, send the PAT team in, win the football game, or I'd say we've got eight seconds left in the game or 10 seconds realistically, no timeouts. Offense would want to run a play, and I'd send a field goal team in. I'd say, are we winning or losing? If he made it, we won the game. If he missed it, we lost the game. This type of thing, we get together. I'd give him a talk, and that was the week. Saturday, regular procedures as you did, but we wore pads. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And if I ever said shoulder pads, trunks, and helmets one day, it was a reward and the team would be excited. Maybe I thought they needed a rest or they didn't need uh, to be in full pads. But I'll tell you what, you go easy all the time. These guys start to think they're pretty good. And they forget what full speed is. They forget what the tempo is going to be on Saturday. And you can't let them forget that. You can't just practice slow and get tough and fast on Saturday. And I agree with the coach. And uh, just a few thoughts for me. I uh, like John. I, you know, I hadn't played football anywhere near this level. There's organized stuff. So you know, I'm not the right person to. Oh yeah, this is what I did back in the day. Um, interesting to me, talking to players and talking to some of the coaches. The feeling you get, besides there's new NCAA rules, so you're not practicing. Um, you know, in pads as much, there's limitations uh, when you can and how often you can, things like that. Uh, USC does practice in full pads less than what, you know, you're allowed to do. And usually, um, you know, when you talk to players and coaches and stuff, it seems to be more of a worried about injury kind of thing. And, you know, I under, like my thought would be like what you're saying, coach, and you don't need to, you know, tackle to the ground all the time, but I, I would like to see more practices in full pads uh, out there because it does change, I think, the mentality of the players. I've, I've asked them, like, off the record, and it's a difference when you open your locker and what you see, you know? If you don't have to put on full pads, it's like a different mentality going into the practice. And USC doesn't practice in full pads the entire month of November. So, um, you know, there's obviously different philosophies and stuff, and, you know, that's what USC's has been, you know, the last several years. Yeah, and you talk about preventative injury. Hey, when you wear full pads, there's a chance of having less injuries, okay, than having more injuries. Because you wear equipment the way I understood it last to prevent injuries. So, uh, And not only that, I think you get used to carrying a uniform. A uniform weighs whatever it weighs, and you get used to carrying it, running with it, moving with it, pulling with it, catching a football with it on, raising your hands, the pads all of the different things you have to do during a game. And when you're doing that, you're not really practicing under not what you call game conditions. So I I, I like to do everything in game conditions, okay? And uh, 
I don't know what the rules are now, but I would certainly go to the extent of where I can be in pads when I can hit. And and and, and for, <laughs> remember what the game of football was built on. It isn't flags, okay? Or <laughs> it's the real deal, okay? The real deal. All right. Well, the coach is the real deal. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Coach, great stuff. Lots of good questions. We're back at it. Thanks for coming on and uh, looking forward to getting more of your thoughts as we go forward. Thanks, buddy. And again, thank you, all of our listeners out there. Have a great summer out there. And if you have a young uh, son or daughter that's in uh, sports, uh, make sure you have vacation with them. Make sure you get away and let a kid be a kid. And remember, family's family, and that's priority over everything. All right. So take care. And again, thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you, Coach. And thank you all for listening. Spending some time, taking some time out of your day to listen to the Peristyle Podcast. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.